Hello there, Ben here, just letting you know before we jump into the episode. We had a little bit of a sound issue with this episode. Uh, for some reason, Mandy sounds off mic for most of it. Um, I've done a fair amount of work in post to kind of balance our audio out. It's not 100%. I did the best I could. I don't know what happened. Maybe I misset the microphone or hadn't configured Audacity correctly, but I've done the best I can to kind of level out our volumes. It is listenable. I appreciate you bearing with us. Um, I'll figure out what it was and we'll take care of it before the next episode. Anyway, here it is. And welcome to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I'm Ben. I'm Mandy. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's a new, uh, it's the first uh, podcast of the new year. We are recording this on the 2nd of January. Yeah, we did. We haven't uh, done this in a couple weeks because we run into stuff with like holidays and things. Yeah, just scheduling wise, it's been, it's been trickier than usual. But uh, we'll be back on probably our mostly, re- I know we're mostly weekly. Uh, so we'll be back on that schedule going forward. We do our best. We do our best. This is a labor of love. We both have many exciting and busy things that are going on in our lives. We're planning a wedding, which is very, uh, very time consuming. Yeah, we finally went from uh, Star 22 is going from like, oh, we're having a wedding next year to you're having a wedding in nine months. We are getting married in slightly less than nine months now. It's, yeah. It is, it is, it is the, this year. Uh, we put together our uh, wedding website over the weekend, which is like a very happy thing, but she yeah. was like, it's, all just prompts on like, ooh, how much do you love each other? It's just lots. I do like the, right now, the title page of our wedding website. It says, uh, come and join us uh, as we get married. And under that, a picture of a spider in galoshes. No, it says, come see how good we look. And under, and that, under that, picture. that, a picture of a spider. Um, and then next to it is a countdown timer that counts down by the second how much time we do not have. Yeah, the wedding website has uh, become an anxiety engine because we now know exactly how long we have until we get married. Yeah, exactly how much money that I need to be saving. Yes. And as well as that, I'm also uh, still knee-deep in Jump Leads production. Uh, we set a recording date for the last two episodes of Jump Leads. I've been editing episodes. I am actually going to be spending all day Next Monday, the 10th, re-recording my dialogue for the first two episodes of Jump Leads, just to actually give a um, a performance this time. So when we recorded episodes four and five, which were the episodes that we most recently recorded, and then the episodes we're recording in February are three and six, one of the notes I got from the director and from Dino, because Dino was present for the recordings of episodes one and two, is that I'm not really... There's not a lot of, I'm just, it's just kind of very flat. Mm-hmm. And there isn't really a lot of like emotion or frustration, which is kind of what kind of fuels that uh, Llewellyn as a character. So I was able to give that for when we recorded episodes four and five. Yeah, I feel like it, it's probably difficult for that kind of character because it is someone who is like more monotone and just supposed to be yeah. kind of like more of the grounded character versus the other more excitable character. So it's harder to read, particularly for an audio of like, well, I do have to emote and you have to emote more for an audio. Yeah, particularly for audio. Yeah, But and then I think- also being grounded and having that perception of like grounded, but also larger than life at the same time. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's having to just really just kind of convey that frustration in a way that reads better in audio. So yeah, I'm going to be 
um, going into Dino's booth on the 10th and kind of re-recording all of my dialogue for the first two episodes. Hopefully that won't take too long. Um, Mickey's cross because you got to pick me up I'm in, Yeah, I mean, and I am in every scene in, yeah. in those two episodes. So there only, there's only one episode really where where my character's not in every scene, and that is one we've already recorded. But that's fun. Like editing an audio play is a, is a challenging process. Doing sound design is a challenging process. Are you when you write the next season? Are you going to write where Llewellyn's not here this time? I'm going to write a lot of white void scenes, so they're not anywhere where I have to do any kind of atmos or sound design. <laughs> So it's basically we're just going to record it like a podcast. Yeah, like this. What is this a podcast about? Oh, this is a podcast where we watch the 90s sitcom The Nanny starring Fran Drescher. Um, and then we outline its shortcomings. What was the episode? You're not outlining your shortcomings <laughs> all the time. Sometimes. Sometimes it's Sometimes good. we do outline a shortcoming or two. Um, what is the episode that we have watched this week? I can hear you ask, gentle listener. This episode, I know the title of it is A Star is Unborn. So this is uh, season two, episode eight. Hello, Ben in the edit again. It's actually season two, episode seven, not episode eight i don't know how i whiff that it's it's literally in our show notes so sorry about that mandy if they're watching on hbo max where is this one if you're watching on hbo max congratulations uh, this is your season finale uh episode 24 of season one wow on HBO max so according to hbo max this would be your season finale I wonder, it doesn't feel very season finale-y, does it? It doesn't really feel like it also, I mean, I guess it does feel a little bit like a season one episode. Yeah, it feels uh, kind of season one. It feels kind of like later to mid, Mm. especially because this is an episode that focuses on like more romantic subplot things. And I feel like season two, they're going a lot harder on that. We've talked a bit after that of the few episodes that have been in season one. And we assume that they were done during the season one production and then just aired later. Probably weren't meant to be like season finales, but just uh, the awkward thing of we aired them later. And so production order doesn't know where to put them. Yeah. So they are here in the the kind of early to mid range of season two, unless you're watching on HBO Max. Yeah, so after this, you will join us in season two. Not on the same episode. No, and we did look ahead to future seasons, and there is still some fun episode rearrangement. So I don't know that we're ever going to get another Daily Double. I don't think there's going to be another sync up. Because we had, a, we had a good stream of that. Yeah. Like, to the point of, like, is there even a point of us, like, mentioning the HBO Max number? I was like, oh, we definitely We're need to. We're gonna have to, yeah. Um. Anyway, let's jump into it, into The Nanny Season 2, Episode 8, or Season 1, Episode 24, A Star is Unborn. We start off on uh, this delightful scene of both Fran and Niles being fucking exhausted. Just beat. Knackered. beat, crashing on the couch, and they don't get more than a moment before everyone is shouting for the both of them. And this isn't really a a big thing. It does play a little bit into particularly Fran's storyline the rest of this episode. The point of it is like, oh, look how important they are to keeping this family run. But I do just like the moments where Fran and Niles are just seen hanging out and yeah. like have a good, good working relationship. And like 
their buddies and co-workers. Yeah, they they really do kind of click. They're not just co-workers, they are very clearly friends as well. And we really do see that when they are on their own. And this is one of those moments where they're on their own and they're kind of off the clock a little bit. They are both relaxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like shoes off, feet up on the coffee table. Yeah, because they both have an awkward thing like because they live there. Yeah. Even though like they, they mention regularly that each of them have set hours and set times. Like they'll make a reference to it. They really don't yeah. because they're around whenever the storyline needs yeah. them. Um, and Maxwell's a shitty uh, employer. I mean, Maxwell, <laughs> Maxwell's a shitty person is the problem. Maxwell's not a great person to work for or be related to. Yeah. I don't think his kids are going to look fondly on him when they're grown up. That's what the se- the, the remake, the reboot <laughs> the, the, the should be The best about. thing that he ever did was marry Fran. Yeah. He definitely, like, fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, like, he's punching above his weight with Fran. Yeah. Uh, Which kind of what this episode is about a little bit. Yeah, it's about a little bit. So the kids uh, run in, uh, Gracie and Brighton. I, I, they don't have anything that's no, important. No, it's all Maggie. Maggie. Maggie wants to go to the Hamptons. Yeah, Maggie wants to go to the Hamptons, is asking Fran, and Fran's like, yeah, sure. Really? Oh, sure. And when I'm fired and you're in the convent, we'll write each other letters and laugh about this. <laughs> And as they're going upstairs, Cece and Chester Meffield emerge from Chester Meffield's office with Philippe, a gentleman who does not really have an accent, but who is on the subtitles, constantly spelt Philippe with an E at the end. Yeah, but they always just call him Philip. Yeah. They always call him uh, Philip, and I didn't know if that was something of, like, Fran is calling him Philip because she doesn't know that it's pronounced Philippe, but they also never reference that it's supposed to be Philippe. No, it's in the subtitles and on the IMDb page, end of list. Yeah. That's just for us. Um, but anyway, Philippe has a bright new idea. He wants to uh, do a... I don't know what you call, like, when a, sh- when a play is happening. When you put on <laughs> a production. Romeo... And- a production. That's the word. To- he wants to do a production of Romeo and Juliet, but he has yes. some great new ideas. Like, he's having an added ending. He's going to have them fly up fl- to heaven. <laughs> they go to heaven. And they're happy. Because we-, we needed to see that. We need to, we need to know. It's crucial. Which Maxwell is not happy about and says a line about the, the Englisher. Not fond of you messing with the bard. Yep. You're rewriting one of the greatest love stories of all time? We're adding a few scenes, but we're taking out others. <laughs> it's supposed to, like, it's treated as this kind of, oh, this horrible thing. But if you've, if you've watched any movie adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, they have to make cuts. They have to fit it in, like, two, two and a half hours. So it's, like, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet has trims. Like, yeah, it's and that fine. Is the one that is considered the closest, the closest adaptation that, like, we can get or likely will ever really get is the Baz Luhrmann one. Yeah. Yeah, it's just something that happens when you adapt a play for another medium. In this case, it's being adapted to... Oh, a play. Okay, so maybe there's a problem there. <laughs> um, and he says he's, you know, CC's trying to get Maxwell on board to... to produce and he doesn't want to do it and uh cc asks philippe well, you you do have a star attached and philippe says he's looking for uh, an unknown a unique voice and this is the point at which fran comes down the stairs screaming about some medicine or ointment or something it was next to the monostat yeah. i remember that and then philippe says i found my juliet cut to opening titles opening titles this plot is like the closest to an i love lucy episode mm. of like the core premise of Lucy wants to get on stage, and Ricky won't let her. 
Yeah. Uh, that is the premise of this episode, is that Fran is going to go on stage and Maxwell is not happy about it. Yeah, there's there's a huge debate over, I think it's breakfast the following morning, or maybe dinner that night. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, and uh, Fran says that she's not going to, like, it starts off and she's like, ha ha, how ridiculous, they want me for the play. And then everyone else is laughing, ha ha, how ridiculous, they want her for the play. And she's like... Actually, you fuck you a little bit. You don't need bit. to laugh that hard. Um. Now I'm going to do it. That's actually the next scene. Um, but also during that scene, you have Maggie chiming in with why she should go to the Hamptons, and she's basically mirroring Fran's response when Fran says, uh, "I'm going to go. I'm going to be Juliet in the play, and you can't stop me." And stomps out. Maggie tries to simulate this. Says, "I'm going to go to the Hamptons," and Maxwell says, "You shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down." <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's a it's a weird correlation of like, oh, we're both going to rebel against Maxwell, but it doesn't work in maggie's case because like well you have no you're not an adult fran is an adult she's allowed yeah. to like hers is a matter of people don't believe that she can do a thing there is also i want to give credit to uh there's some more reference to the premise of this show being based off of the sound of music yes. uh, fran mentions that she played that she was in the sound of music she played mother superior and showed her bosom i put a low scoop neck into my nun's habit and those hills were alive <laughs> she, she, yeah i played mother superior i showed my rack it was great um, and Niles was also in The Sound of Music, and he was the Baroness, which I find interesting because then he was playing Cece's role. I know that's not that's not what the laugh track was about. The laugh track was "Ha ha, Niles played a lady." Yeah, but that's not that's not new information to me. Um, what is new information? Like, oh, you're playing that. This is showing that like you have parallels with Cece because yeah. you played the Cece role. Yeah, it's interesting the kind of the connection there. I wonder if the writers were aware of that connection when they were writing the episode. I feel like they were probably just like, let's make a sound of music reference. What are the characters? And that's the one. One that is ha ha man in a dress funny <laughs> which is a, they also make reference to that later which is uh, which is a bummer because it's like oh you actually have a have a better thing where you can be like oh this is a parallels if you just play the woman who loses the man to the nanny it, i think mostly it they were just going for the hee hee ha ha hoo, yeah. hoo, monty python yeah and because they're, they're weak and they're bad and i'm better than them i'm yeah. better than the writers of the nanny i'm saying it now and yet it's one of your favorite shows it is so uh i like things that make me feel better than them so fran storms out uh, at proclaiming to the world that she's going to do the play despite the fact that she's also a nanny and that is more or less a full-time job insofar as the sitcom dictates it is even though they're supposed to have you know, set hours. Yeah, and that's something that they do kind of mention, like, oh, well, you can do whatever in your free time, but you're not going to have so much time to be in a play. Like, that is also going to be a full-time job, which is a fair criticism, but it is done with ill intent because it's just because Maxwell doesn't believe that she can do it. Yeah. And, like, he's just later complaining. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you can't do it because then it's your job thing. But it, it is a fair thing for him to say. Yeah. His, one of his employees can do things off the clock and can put in for PTO, probably. But she can't just decide, I'm going to do this instead of raising your children. Why don't you raise your children? Which is kind of what sort of happens a little bit in this episode. Yeah, and they do make a reference of like, oh, whose whose idea was it to have three children yeah. and make it a full-time job? Uh, which I feel like even one, if you are a nanny, that's still kind of a full-time around-the-clock job. Yeah. But also at the same time, they do set, like, in other episodes, they make reference to the fact that, like, 
Fran is basically off the clock when the kids are at school. Yeah, and 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 she's even said when the kids are at school, I can I can practice and I can rehearse. And Maxwell is against it. Yeah, because he's on the she's on the clock. Then I don't know what his objection is. His objection is rah, rah, rah. so Fran storms out. She's agreed to do the play, and in the next scene, she's running lines with Niles. Okay, Niles, will you play Romeo? Isn't he too old? <laughs> Well, actually, Juliet's supposed to be my age, so it's not like Fran's. <laughs> not perfect for the role. One of the interesting things about this is there are so many jokes that are aimed at Fran, Fran is wrong for the part, but that also becomes part of the conceit because she's been deliberately miscast. It's a the producer situation. Yeah, not to it, spoil it the a- ending. <laughs> for people who haven't watched it yet, but if you haven't watched it yet, why aren't you watching no, listening to the podcast and you haven't watched it yet? Yeah, but uh <laughs> So it is, uh, she's very intentionally miscast. Yeah. But everyone was kind of aware. But that also kind of plays into it of it's a producer situation, but everyone but Fran is kind of like, hey, yeah. something is up. Or Fran's like, why can't I be Juliet? And there are, there are many reasons. Yeah. And she's bad at the lines. And she doesn't uh, know what the lines mean at all. And, yeah. or, or seems to be aware of what the play is, which granted, all the lines are weird. All the lines are fucking weird, Benjamin. It's an old English. It is a, it is a very old form of English that is not really spoken anymore. So the further away we get from Shakespeare's era, the more explanation we need of what the fuck the characters in his play are saying. Like, Shakespeare's stories, I think, the thing about Shakespeare's stories is he's kind of like the Beatles in that it's the first time white people experience this type of storytelling. <laughs> and it kind of informs all of the all of the storytelling that they both consume afterwards and, if they're influenced by Shakespeare, write themselves. But also, the further away you get from it, the more dated it seems. Like, I, li- I, I like the Beatles. I grew up listening to the Beatles because my dad was a huge Beatle, Beatle head, Beatle maniac, whatever you want to call it. But I do feel like their, their early, early stuff has aged. Uh, it's very kind of it's pop of its time. I would kind of uh, disagree with you on like those being similar things because I feel like the issue with Shakespeare is that they are very simple. They're very simple stories, and they're yeah. stories that we have like repeated so much times because of the language. It feels a lot less simple. Yeah. So that you need a translation. Like I feel like a lot of high schools or middle schools go over Romeo and Juliet because it's one of the shorter plays. Yeah. But even then you spend weeks just going over line by line. What the fuck does this mean? Um, yeah. And then you go over what the fuck this means. I'm like, okay, now I get it. And it's a really simple play. The Beatles, I think, is more of a thing of that is harder. One, because it's like of the 60s, but even more so... It has been repeated so much that it's like, why is this, why is this a new thing that everyone is so into? Because I have 80 bands beat better than that. And yeah. be like, well, uh, they had to be covered in Shrek. They got somebody better to do their songs <laughs> Shrek, so. Yeah. They got, sma- we have Smash Mouth now. Why do we need the Beatles? The, what Smash Mouth, what Beatles song do you think that Smash Mouth sang? Didn't they, uh, what's the, the song? The, the I'm a Believer song. Isn't that a Beatles? It's it's not. Oh, I don't know songs. <laughs> <laughs> Who sang that song? I think that's the monkeys, but let me look it up. It's the monkeys, yeah. Okay, well, I don't know. I don't know shit about fuck, but that's also. <laughs> I will say, sorry. When you type in "I'm a believer" into Google, the autocompletes are "I'm a believer" sung by the monkeys. I'm a believer, Shrek, <laughs> sung by Smash Mouth. Yeah, but I mean, it goes to show. I don't know the difference between the monkeys and the Beatles. <laughs> I mean, that's not an unfair point. Yeah, the, the thing about Shakespeare is, uh, and it, I think it's probably more. It's less to do with the Beatles and it's more to do with the way language evolves. The further away we get from it, the more we need people to explain what the fuck Shakespeare. 
Shakespeare was talking about, which is to I the mean, to the point that like you get the Maxwell thing of like, oh, this is high culture. I'm like it's really not. It's not high culture at all. It is very low culture. Shakespeare's plays are the lobsters and caviar of the culture world in that they were for a long time they were bullshit food for poor people but when rich people became aware of them they became cultured food and suddenly there's a demand and they're expensive and poor people can't have them anymore yeah and it's largely because rich people are able to afford that education to know what the fuck they're saying yeah (laughs) my mom always talked about how she loved uh mass when it was in Latin and how very like regal and like godly it felt to her. But also she doesn't know shit about Catholicism <laughs> because it wasn't in English and there was yeah. nobody giving a translation. So there's almost a bit of like distance makes things seem um, yeah. better and feel smarter because it's like, oh, I have to spend more of my brain power understanding it. It's the same way why I feel a lot of people who are like subs, not dubs people in yeah. anime. It's because when you hear what they're saying in your own language and there's not that distance of having to read it, um, you realize how dumb the thing you're watching really is. Yeah. And then you just blame it on like, oh, well, the dub is the dub is wrong then. Um, and not this is a show made for children. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. I th- I think within if I may talk about a thing I'm aware of, I think within the Doctor Who world, there are definitely fans who hate the new series and think that classic Doctor Who is the only quote unquote canonical Doctor Who. And then you go back and watch stuff from the sixties, like we just today we watched the animated reconstruction of Galaxy Four, which is smart, but the pacing is also very very off. Like Galaxy 4 is the type of story that the modern show would do in 45 minutes, and it takes them two hours, like four half-hour episodes, to do it in the classic series. It's also very much for children. Yeah. it's for, All of this is for children. Yeah. Shakespeare Shakespeare was, uh, was the, like, terrestrial, like, basic cable of its day. You know? He was a like, lifetime movie. He was a lifetime Romeo movie. Romeo and Juliet is a lifetime Romeo movie. and Juliet has more in common with Lifetime, with Hallmark, with all of that trashy bullshit. <laughs> He's a, li- it- a little less uh, Scorsese, a little more Lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> Niles does this bit where he gets up and he reads lines and he's chewing the scenery and Fran gives him shit for that. And then Maxwell comes out. And Cece and Maxwell is kind of uh, complaining about how Fran's taking the role. Cece is like, I don't know, only an idiot would hire her, which Maxwell's not happy about. But we feel, I feel like there would be a fuck you Cece here if this were, this were not airing on <laughs> ABC or whatever network this aired on NBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or CBS. CBS. CBS, yes. And then Maxwell says, well, what if I was... What? Why don't I read for Juliet? Why don't I read for Romeo? Why don't I read for Romeo? They're the same character. They're basically the same person. They're a horny teen. Romeo's like in his 20s, isn't he? he he's just a fuckboy. The thing that I always loved about Romeo and Juliet is like, right before he meets Juliet, it's talking about how much he loves this other bitch. And it was like, oh, you do this like... This is like the sixth time you've done it. And it just <laughs> it just broke bad this time. Yeah. So Maxwell offers to read for Romeo. To Cece's uh, dismay. Uh, predictable dismay to the point that Fran is able to count it down. Yep. So there are they head over to the stairwell to do some to rehearse some of the balcony scene, the famous Wherefore Art Thou Romeo scene, which this sitcom like everyone who's ever made fun of Romeo and Juliet or has incorporated Romeo and Juliet into a narrative mistakes the question wherefore art thou Romeo for 
where are you? Where, where, when it is actually, why are you? That's the only bit of Shakespeare <laughs> complaining I'll be doing in the entire podcast. If you catch me doing it again, let me know. I will Venmo you. Bitch, $7. why are you like this? <laughs> why are you like this? Romeo, Romeo, what the fuck? <laughs> it is funny, like, how they are, both both of them are regularly, like, looking down the bit and be like, this is the one line that everybody knows. Everyone knows this one line. How do you not know this? But it doesn't matter because this is all pretense. Because yeah. it's building. They, they're up on the balcony. They're doing the lines. Yeah, and so, then... they, so they do. So Fran does yes. the line a few times. Um, and she just kind of says it. Uh, and then Max was like, <laughs> Yes, no, uh, maybe we could have a little more lilting, just a bit more melodic. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And the thing he just says melodically, what he means is wistfully. Yes. Um, because Fran just then sings it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Romeo, Romeo. <laughs> and then Maxwell does it. And Maxwell also does not do a good They're job. They're great. They're neither of them are very good. I don't need Charles Shaughnessy to be a good Shakespearean actor because that's not what we, he's a soap actor, he's a sick. Actor. And he's also, he's acting, his character that he is acting is yes. acting, so I, I get that it is something yes. that, like, when a character is acting in a sitcom, regardless, they will do a bad job, because we need them to know that they're acting. Yes, we, it needs to be, definitely there needs to be a projection of acting. Um, but then they, they, they play out the scene, and it leads to them doing a very, very long smoocheroo. You know, because this lovey-dovey stuff has just been done to death. <laughs> But they do, like, a long, like, slow kiss, and then kind of, like, ease away, and then there's a delightful bit of uh, Fran coming down the stairs, and she trips, and she Her falls down the stairs. Her legs are wobbly. She's weak at the knees. And it's such, because it's, it's not big. It is a very small motion of her just like slightly like yeah. slipping. It's again it's one of those little moments that really kind of hammers home how good of a physical performer Fran Drescher is. Yeah, because it's not it's not a pratfall. It's not like a big laugh bit. It is just this little like this little yeah. stumble to know that oh it got it got her nervous. Yeah. Cece continues to talk shit. Yeah. Not so nervous that Fran can't also talk shit at Cece. Yeah. Like she, before walking away she gets a little jab in uh, and then we have the next scene which I think is the one I was talking about earlier yeah so yes. um, the next scene is uh, it is the evening probably a later day yeah maybe um, the next day day after yeah uh, Brighton and Gracie are running around they have uh, super soakers and uh, Brighton is at first saying that he's going to be Dracula the Dracula with a gun I guess <laughs> Gun Dracula. Gun Dracula. And he's Dracula going, 2000, if you will. Gun Dracula. He's like, I'm going to get you. And Gracie's like, Man. I have anxiety. This is nothing for me. Fine, I'm the CC monster. And I'm going to marry Dad and send you away to boarding school. <laughs> and she runs away screaming. Yeah. Now, the living room is in a state of quote unquote disarray at this point. Which- it's not really disarray it's sitcom disarray there's a sheet and there's like four toys um i do love uh the gift that gracie got for christmas the edward munch scream blow-up doll yes Uh, probably a better term than a blow-up doll but that's what it is inflatable screamer yeah Uh And that's off to the side, so that's a delightful bit of continuity. Yeah, it's nice to know that thing's still kicking around. It didn't get stolen by, like, a set dresser or one of the PAs or whatever. Maxwell comes in, and he chastised the kids because he's put them to bed five times. 
the kids are like, well, you know, I've eaten shit and you didn't touch <laughs> us in you properly. Didn't do a good, you didn't do a good job. You're so not a good like- dad. They just look him square <laughs> in the eyes and they just say, you're not a good father. And then the, the audience goes very quiet. It's actually very, it's a very tense and uncomfortable moment. And it's weird because the camera like slowly zooms in on Maxwell's face and then it cuts to Brighton and, and Gracie and they're like dead and it's like, it's haunting. You're not a good father. They say it again to his face. You're not a good father. And you can hear the wind. And it's just awkward. And then friend comes in and we're back to a studio audience. So come again. Um, Maxwell is clearly having some issues uh, with the kids since Fran is not around. He yeah. goes into the dining room where Niles is waiting to, I think, heat up food that he had. Or I don't know if it's making food. Um, and he's waiting for her to arrive. Well, right? she was supposed to, her rehearsal was supposed to end at 8. So she was supposed to be back maybe around 8.15, 8.30. So he's prepared a meal with the assumption that she's going to be home at this time. And it's been so long, the food is spoiled. Yeah. So they're both complaining about like, where is she? How could rehearsals take so long? And they're like, well, we saw how she acted. Maybe there's a reason why they went so long. And then she comes in uh, wearing a blazer decorated with the opening title sequence of the hit uh, 2000s BBC sitcom Coupling, written by Stephen Moffat. It's just all bright colors. And it's very nice. I, lo- I love that, that. It's a very nice blazer. I think it's a blazer. Yes. She says she's already eaten, and I was like, fine. You know what? The food's fucking ruined anyway. Who gives a shit? That was very upset. He's upset. He's bit... I think it's the only time I've... I know it's kind of played for laughs, and it's not addressed again, but it really does feel like he's personally hurt by my friend <laughs> not being there for dinner. It seems like he wanted to... He did want to celebrate her success, uh, and maybe made her a nice dinner. Yeah, I think... I feel like he really went the extra mile. Maybe that's... It was a special meal that maybe would have spoiled quickly. So he goes off with the meal. Fran asks how Maxwell did with the kids. Well, Maxwell complains, and then Fran says well did you have a hard time with the kids without me which maxwell says uh uh no i'm a great dad i'm a great dad Fuck but, also, you. but also don't go in the living but room. also don't go in the living room there's a little back and forth there's a fun little moment where maxwell's trying to block the door for her to go to the living room and she outwits him and goes into the living room and sees she says oh it's a mess it's sheets and four toys do you know how easy that is to tidy up i've made bigger messes than that in the toilet we had a guest over today and tidied up the apartment. It is uh, messier than that <laughs> messy set. So Fran is uh, somewhat teasing of the mess. Yeah. Fran is gathering stuff up, putting it into... It's like a laundry basket. Yeah, a yeah. laundry basket, picking things up. While also teasing Maxwell. Maxwell tosses a thing, possibly into the basket, but also like a sort of... It's definitely aimed at her. Yeah. And then he says, oh, sorry, I missed. That was an accident. Uh, so Francis says something, ba- yeah. throws something back at him, and then they start arguing. Yeah, she says, you know, we went out afterwards, me and Romeo and Tibalt and Mercutio, and, and they went out for dinner. I, I'm going to assume Burger King, because why not? <laughs> That's their, that's their slogan. Yeah, burning, because why not? Where else are you going to go, idiot? No, that's Wendy's. <laughs> McDonald's is ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. You're going to end up here anyway. <laughs> it's, there's kind of, there's an almost kind of playful, like, post-kiss teasing energy in this scene, but there's also, like, a palpable frustration from Maxwell. Yeah, and there's also frustration at Fran that is kind of like, it's... Almost, this feels like a later episode, almost, when it's yeah. playing more on, like, the dating side of, like, a friend says, you only want me to be the nanny. And uh, given that they've had a kiss, and that could be read as a romantic thing. And later on, like, this this later seasons do play on that. 
uh, you have kissed me, but you only want me to be the nanny and we, you don't want to actually have this be a relationship. Yeah. But at this point in time, it's really just them talking about like, well, you only want me to be the nanny and you're not acknowledging that I have talent in other things. Yeah, I'm a human being with wants and needs and credit cards and keys. <laughs> and they get the fight kind of morphs as they're fighting into a couple's argument. Well, that's it. I'm going home to my mother. No, don't bother. I'm sleeping on the couch. <laughs> and then they storm off in different directions. Oh, and Niles... Fran also says, like, If we're splitting up, I get Niles. You couldn't afford him. Not on what you pay me. <laughs> yeah, because you don't pay me enough. You don't pay me shit. And so they storm off in different directions. And then Niles uh, is in the background and he steps forward and says, It's always the butler who suffers. And it's so great because... So Niles had stepped in like a little bit before and he was just kind of like hanging out. And he's like, what is Niles going to do? And it's, it's great because you're just waiting for him to yeah. drop his little line. But his body language is very kid who's caught his parents on. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like he was. they told him to play Gracie. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about the Avon joke. Oh, yeah. There's a bit where when uh, Niles is rehearsing with Fran and he talks about his, his theatrical background and he mentions that he used to summer in Stratford-upon-Avon. Only that's not what he says. He says Stratford-upon-Avon. I spent my summers in Stratford-upon-Avon. Which is how you know he's not actually the English one. <laughs> but at the same time, Fran follows it up with I spent my summer selling Avon. <laughs> Which is a delightful little bit. And that is a that is a writing joke. And I yeah. figure that is a, a joke written by an American who doesn't know that those are pronounced differently. But it's also a thing of even if he knows how it's supposed to be said, for an American audience, for that joke to make any sense, he does need to say Stratford upon yeah. Avon. So I don't... I desperately want to know, did you know that you were saying it wrong? Or did, is that just because you are from Arkansas and that's how you thought it would be said or is it how the the writers have instructed you to say it so that the joke works yeah shrug who knows hopefully, anyway hopefully you can add that in to the the relevant scene <laughs> or it's just in there it's just it's a little nugget in the middle of the podcast where we talk about a scene we've already long since dismissed <laughs> moving swiftly on yeah, so uh, next thing, we actually go with Fran to the rehearsal. Yeah. And this is actually the bit, so most of this episode I have not seen before. Mm -hmm. I've only seen, like, the later half of it. Yeah. And this is the bit where they're going to start rehearsing the death scene. Mm -hmm. I don't remember any of this scene at all. Okay. I have no memory of it. I can't talk about it. Okay, so the uh, uh, director announces they're going to start uh, working on the death scene. Um, there's a back and forth between a random actress and the person who was playing Romeo. I do remember this now, um, yes. Because I mistakenly, I thought that the actor playing the actor playing Romeo, I thought was Craig Bierko. Because if it was, hey, we have a Red Dwarf connection. Because Craig Bierko played Lister in the two American pilots of Red Dwarf. But it turns out, it's not Craig Bierko. So the actor playing Romeo is, in fact... Peter Mark Jacobson, who uh, is the co-creator of The Nanny, is one of the writers on the show, and also, at this point in time, Fran Drescher's husband. Yeah, um, and so there's a, a little back and forth on uh, the random actress is complaining of, like, I don't know how she got this part. Well, she must be sleeping with him. I slept with him. I got two lines. I got Romeo. <laughs> hey, hey, Peter Mark Jacobson, 
Were you giving us some hi- you- some, some hints? <laughs> is this something that you maybe already knew about yourself but didn't? Or maybe this is one of the ways in which that you realize, hey, why am I so comfortable saying this line? Why do I? Why do? Why do I want to? Oh, they removed my scene where I do kiss the director many times. That's weird. Smooch oh, because we filmed it. We filmed it. There weren't any cameras, but I know we filmed it. <laughs> no, that's we're, we're being mean to a, to a person who was closeted at this time. They're rehearsing the scene. The, the, it's the death scene. It is. <laughs> so, Fran is amazing in this. It is so delightfully good. Uh, so the Romeo. Uh, drinks the poison and plays dies. It, plays it so straight, like, as you would expect someone doing Shakespeare to do Shakespeare. Yeah. Nothing special. Not good, not bad, just just Shakespeare. Yeah, it's it's very high school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fran gets up, and she, like, does a big yawn, and, like, good morning. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the version of Romeo and Juliet that um, Nicholas Angel goes to see in uh, Hot Fuzz. Oh, okay. yeah. That's where, where the, the woman playing Juliet is fucking atrocious. <laughs> She's just like messing, like in her own way. She's chewing the scenery because she's just yeah. really, really egging it on, going like, "Oh, hey, here's the like, oh, there's poison," and is like holding out her hand and makes the dead Romeo bring it to her. <laughs> goes, oh, there's poison, and then gets her knife and is checking her teeth in the knife and is checking and then checking to make, to make sure, sure that it properly retracts. And then stabs herself and then shoves Romeo off of her so that she can do the longest death scene of just like repeatedly croaking. Kind of the the very over the top bad bad or egotistical actor going over the top on their death scene. Where they don't they don't want to die yet, yeah. so they just keep doing it. Yeah. And then they rise to heaven, which gets <laughs> we get some wire work. Yeah, they rise to heaven, um, and Fran has a line and then She's not, like, they're not rising her up. She is kind of stuck there and starts swinging side to side. She hits, there's a bunch of, like, faux concrete pillars that are, like, cardboard or styrofoam, whatever. She hits one, grabs it, breaks it, knocks over the bottom end, and it kind of dominoes, knocking pillar to pillar to pillar, just knocking them over in a horseshoe shape, which, fun fact, would later go on to inspire a similar scene in the 1999 hit action-adventure movie, The Mummy. That's not true, but it is the exact same thing. It's <laughs> it the same thing. thing. Yeah, and then she she ends the scene by talking about her then husband's wedgie. Yes, uh, which is deeply hilarious. So we cut to Fran uh, kind of doubled over, complaining about having been in the harness, and she goes to sit down next to the actress who earlier had said that she had uh, slipped with the director. Say, I know you. Well, I have done six Broadway shows and several national tours. No, no, it was a commercial. <gasps> You're the less than fresh girl. <laughs> you, you stinky commercial bitch. You got- <laughs> Your fanny smells bad. <laughs> and yes, I know what I mean. Because it's the podcast slogan. Yes. And the actress doesn't take kindly to being recognized from a pussy commercial as opposed to I mean, we don't know it's a pussy commercial it's less than f- fresh what do you think it, it could is be, it could Marjorie. be dry shampoo it could be dry shampoo it could be deodorant there's a lot I mean there's a lot of possibilities but I'm gonna go with it could be wet wipes I'm gonna go with she has a problem you know down there then that seems like something that is probably like one of those scented things and you should not be using scented things mm. if you are a person with a vagina or I don't know I I don't know the rule with penises I assume that similarly you should not be putting scented things in there because it's an irritant your body has a natural odor because it has like 
uh, at least for vaginas have a natural yeah. like pH is supposed to be there and part of that is a is a smell. Um, they and that do... is a normal thing to have. And so just be accept the way that your vagina smells. We're, we are taught in high school in England that one of the ways you may be tempted to adjust the flavor profile or scent of uh, of your penis, should you have one. Pineapple? Pineapple no, juice? I was going to say you just dip it in, in strawberry frosting. <laughs> and, uh, and then it's And then it's... And then it's a different smell. Like, there's other smells now. That can't be... You're fucking with me, right? You're fucking with me, right? The thing... Here's the thing. I thought this was so obvious that you would just play in the space with me. No. But the, the fact that you're having this reaction... I'm gonna. I'm not gonna answer the question. <laughs> well, the fact that you want me to play in a space means that it was a play space, but... I don't... I don't know. I thought you were gonna tell me the pineapple juice bit. What is the... I don't know that bit. Oh... Y- you're supposed to have uh, if you're supposed to dip your, your your pingus in. No, you're supposed to drink pineapple juice, and it will make your cum taste better. Have you never heard this? No, what? Have you never? No, this is new information to me. I don't really like pineapple juice that much. But it's supposed to make your cum taste better. All right. Well, I guess I'll just have some pineapple juice, and then I'll taste my cum, and I'll see if there's. No, I have to taste my cum before. Yeah. Then have some pineapple juice, and then I guess however how long does it take to work through your system? I don't know. Maybe the next day. I do a, I, you know what I should do is I should I should here's what I should do. Sorry, listener. What I should do is I should come <laughs> store the cum, drink a lot of pineapple juice, come again. Hence the expression "thank you, come again," and then do a do a controlled taste test. But the because the cum is aged, and does the aging of the cum affect it? Like, is, is this a good vintage? I don't think it'll be a good vintage. I don't know. I have seen the My Little Pony cum jar. Like, that oh, doesn't God. seem like that's no, good. No, I have good. to abort the bit. I'm pulling the emergency <laughs> joke ripcord. I cannot believe. How quickly did we go from pineapple cum to My Little Pony? I don't, I can't. I don't, I can't do it. <sighs> I can't, I hadn't heard of this thing until like a week ago. And then you showed me a fucking well, photograph you, of you it. And I thing. had 87 aneurysms. You showed me a thing of someone uh, doing instructions on how to make like DIY snow globes. And one of them was with a My Little Pony. Yeah. And then they had a bunch of comments of, oh my God, I had no idea. <laughs> um, and be like, and, and you were like, oh, I don't know me. what this I reference is. I don't know what this is. reference is. And I was like, yeah, the My Little Pony cum jar. The guy who wanted to uh, drown, I think it was uh, Rainbow Dash. I feel like I... it was either Rainbow Dash or Twi- uh, Twilight Sparkle in cum. I, okay. So this, I think this is not, this is not the first time we've talked about cum on the podcast. Um, uh, there's a g- great YouTube video by, um, I believe he goes by Wang, like W H A N G. The really interesting part, it's not the, it's not the drown of uh, Milo Pony and Cum, is that he accidentally boiled the Cum, and we found out what happens when you boil Cum and have a Milo Pony inside of it. Does it all kind of melt into each other? Um, it uh, appears because like the the pony was okay, but that I mean not okay. It has taken some damage, but it was like in the same. You think? Um, but the cum kind of caramelized, like an onion. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. This is the worst thing I've ever had to endure. And everyone has to endure it with. No, we don't. We that I can edit all of this out. It's but you all won't. Gonna, there's gonna be like it's a like it's like the ring, Benjamin. The only way for, <laughs> for you to survive is for you to share to everyone. Else. So everyone who oh. is listening, um, you will die in seven days if you don't share this podcast. 
uh, with other people. I had to do this as my requirement in order to get rid of it. I am very, I am very Not sorry. Like um, that like Sadako this. is now going to come for you. Come Sadako. It's the Sadako of come stories. Share this with one of your friends, and then there will be their burden, but you will be so, free. I want to thank you for listening. This is the last episode of uh, Out of Her Fanny. I'm sorry it's going to end so abruptly. Uh, I am uh, hitting... We have a big red button on our desk. We're allowed to hit to permanently end the podcast. <laughs> I am about to hit it. No, let's continue talking about... So, moving swiftly on, Maxwell Sheffield shows up. Because he's discovered something about the play. Yes. Um, so there had been a scene uh, at some point in this that we keep on mixing up uh, the time things of it. But uh, Cece tells Maxwell that the reason that the director cast Fran is because he's he wants this to be a tax write-off and he needs it to bomb. It's Yeah, it's a producer situation. Yeah, it's like, hey, you've seen the producers, this is it. And to which uh, Maxwell, and I think also Niles, like, uh, finds that out. And they're like, oh, finally, everything makes sense now. Yeah. Um, but also realizing, like, oh, this is going to be awful for Fran that, like, she's going to be run out. Like, Cece is delighted by this idea. Yeah. But uh, Maxwell feels bad, and so he shows up at the play. Fran... Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, it's Maxwell Sheffield, the famous Broadway producer. So uh, Maxwell gets mobbed by uh, various actors who desperately want to get out of this play and into a better one. And he says, no, I'm just here to see Fran. God, she's sleeping with everybody. (laughs) Watch, next year she'll have her own sitcom. (laughs) Which is top draw coming from the husband at the time. (laughs) Um, but Maxwell uh, is there to break the news to her but Fran ha- ha- beats her to the punch and says listen I know why you're here you're here to tell me you c- the house is a mess that you can't do this without me that I don't belong in this plane you know what you're right yes and uh, Maxwell that's not what he was going to say but he realizes this is a much easier out yeah he l- just leans into it uh, yeah and so he just leans into it and Fran leaves the place she does say like my Broadway debut should be in one of your plays. End credits. End credits. Now, End- we do get a, what I assume is like a an, like an, ex- an extended part of the the wire scene from earlier because everyone gets everyone breaks for lunch and they leave her hanging there, which fun fact happened to Chris O'Donnell on the set of Batman Forever. Uh, so Robin and Batman's girlfriend who's being played by shit who plays in Batman Forever. It's um She's in the uh, the Lucille Ball bioplay that just came out, and I'm blanking Nicole on her name. Kidman. Nicole Kidman, yes. Nicole Kidman plays Val Kilmer, Batman's uh, love interest. And it's which one are you going to save? And they, they break for lunch, and apparently they left Chris O'Donnell hanging there in the Robin Aww. costume. Either that or it's just one of those fun made-up set anecdotes that you come up with on the fly when you're on, you know, doing the pr- mm-hmm. promotional rounds. But we see them all breaking for lunch, and they leave Fran hanging, and that's it. That's it. That's the show. Uh, what did you think of this one, Mandy? It's fine. Yeah. Um, it's Fran fine. <laughs> it's fine. Like, I enjoyed this episode. We definitely had problems, like, remembering all of the pieces of it. Um, because it's very by, like, by the book. Yeah, it's very like, predictable. The, it has some good jokes. But in terms of the narrative and, and, and actually in terms of some of the jokes, you kind of see everything coming. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of when I watched, when I went to see Wanted in the theater and I knew how that film was going to end like 20 minutes in. And you know, it's not necessarily that knowing how it's going to end is, 
is a bad thing. I think that for a lot of stories, I think this is the thing people forget is it's not about, it's not always about the destination. It's about the journey. And I think the journey had some good jokes and some good zingers in it. It's just something where like, I, as we said from the beginning, this is them kind of doing the, I love Lucy premise of wanting to get on stage and they don't, really do anything else with that the one thing i will say to that end and this for this did feel very i love lucy to me um the one thing i will say to that is the wire scene feels like something that i love lucy would have loved to have done if they could have like i don't know if technically that's something they i think technically they could have pulled that off in the day um but maybe that logistically there's difficulty in doing that on a sitcom that's being filmed as live or um, maybe it's something they wouldn't have been able to afford to do at that time on American television but if that the, the wire scene felt like I, like I love Lucy 90s style yeah. very very much but it's like if I if I tell you I love Lucy and the producers you have this entire episode you got the entire episode down you yeah. could write this episode yeah this is I love Lucy X the producers uh, hit new collab. You'll be able to buy the merch, a box lunch. Um, it's going to be great. You can get a little lunchbox. You can get a nice patterned shirt, some very nice dresses, and a <laughs> a branded air fryer. It is kind of interesting where, again, this feels almost like a later season episode. Yeah. It feels like something of like, once they get to the point where Maxwell expresses his feelings and then takes them back, and then there's a bit afterward, like, it, this feels like that would fit more in one of those yeah. bits because of the, the argument that they have of you only want to see me as a nanny and, like, putting that this early is kind of an interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting choice to have to have made, but... I, you know, I, this episode's fine. It's not one of the best episodes. It's far from being one of the worst. We've had a couple of good episodes on season two, and this one feels like, uh, this is a skippable episode. This is it a is, very, this is 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 ba- is put this one in the background while you're doing the dishes kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, this is a, an episode, and we've kind of got this from the ones that were holdovers, or what we are assuming are holdovers from the first season, based on how they're showing on HBO Max. Yeah. That it's just, here's an episode, we gotta play it at some point. And just fitting, just fitting it in. And that's yeah. not, if you're doing a weekly television show, that is inevitably a thing that you need. And this, f- for that reason, I think this is a, a delightful little thing to have on, but it's not anything necessarily right home about. Yeah, it definitely feels like an episode that is a, if it is an episode that was produced late in season one and was held over, which given what we think about the HBO Max product uh, running order seems to be the case then this definitely feels like hey we have to put out an episode this week so let's just let's just bash it out kind of episode it's very i don't want to say tropey tropey because because that implies that tropes are inherently bad and they're not i mean i don't it doesn't feel like it's a bash it up so it feels like they have an episode and it's like we don't necessarily need to put this one on so we'll need it for when we need to bash out an episode we do not have the time to do so. That's fair. That's probably a better assessment, yeah. It's fine. It's not bad. It's not good. It's far from the worst thing they've done, but it's also very, very far from the best. I think think this is a solid 5 out of 10. It It is middle of the road. I I would probably give it a, I would be like a, a, a six or seven just because like people do the worst thing ever five out of ten. I mean I'm not reviewing on an on an IGN scale of like yeah. seven point three. I'm like five is absolute middle of the road. If five is absolute middle of the road, ten is the best thing they've ever done. One is the worst thing they've ever done. Five is like a solid middle of the road, not bad, not good, just on. Yeah. So part of this that is kind of I feel like this would be a notable episode because of the the kiss. In it, and particularly if you are watching this for the the romantic yeah. part of the romantic comedy, um, I feel like this is a notable one. But because it is 
so very by the book of like, you're going to do a Romeo and Juliet, and then you're going to kiss when you do the scene in Romeo and Juliet because of how romantic Romeo and Juliet is, with very little actually having to do yeah. with it. Like, there are, there are some things that can work with that very well and how you play with, like, um, the differences between the Romeo and Juliet characters yeah. and the people playing them. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you can do in that space. This isn't really doing it. It's just kind yeah. of like, here's the romantic parts. We're going to be- kiss. So, yeah. for me, like, really the, the thing that I keep on going back to is the argument, because that is the interesting relationship yeah. part for me. And it's, it's interesting as well, like, the kiss is a long, close- kiss it's a slow it is a it is a very like charismatic kiss yeah i will a, give them credit of yeah. it is a very like well because you like you watch awkward tv because yeah this is not an awkward tv because this is very nicely done yeah it's a it is two faces that look good touching um but it also they don't really talk about it afterwards and it's a very because of how long that kiss is you would have a conversation about that afterwards yeah and it doesn't even get touched on yeah they don't really talk about it afterwards and you would talk about it afterwards yeah even i feel like there is something that could be done here like because of how their argument is very intense yeah and it's like oh yeah because we just did a whole smooching and now you're continuing to mock me yeah. And, like, you can't do the both of those. But the fact that it never gets addressed, a I feel like there was a version of the script that did acknowledge it, and that line got cut somewhere. Yeah. And I feel like cause, because of the way sitcoms work, particularly because of the way sitcoms work in the 90s, we're, we're going to reset at the end of the episode, and this is never going to be touched on again. And that kiss is a big deal, like, for the narrative. It's not the first time they've kissed, mm-hmm. but it is a big deal that they kissed that long, that passionately, then had a couple's fight over over the play that was very very clearly framed as a couple's fight yes it's funny for the bit but also they just kissed like that recontextualizes the whole thing if if you did the kiss or the fight that's probably fine but you did both yeah like that's that has ramifications you did both and never acknowledged that hey doing both does one of these maybe relate to the other one yeah of like hey there are there are feelings Happen like maybe the reason why both of you are being very sensitive to this kind of thing is because of the kiss that happened. Yeah, uh, and there's there's nothing there, and that kind of like that makes this episode a bit weaker for me. Of this could be an episode that like oh I need to go back to this for the romantic subplot, but it's not. They don't want it to be a romantic episode. Yeah, they're not interested in that. They're more interested in the Romeo and Juliet stuff. Which is so very interesting. But like, oh, if this if this were played in season three, season four, it would be that would be the entire premise of it. Yeah, it's I, I think that's probably the weak point of the episode is that there is so much of the the relationship stuff that is just never ever gonna get addressed again. I think that's kind of unfortunate. I think that this is and in, I think the Romeo and Juliet stuff is fine, but there's so much of the relationship stuff happening that is just not going to get touched on at all. No. And we're not going to get any kind of... It, next. We're going to watch the next episode and it's going to be... You know, it, there's going to be nothing there. Yeah. You know? Oh, well. Anyway, what are we watching next time? Oh, so this is an interesting thing, actually. I have to pull up the HBO, because I saw what the HBO Max episode is, and so we talked about it earlier, so we could confirm what the next HBO Max episode is, mm-hmm. and you said, 
pishki business. I don't, this is probably a Yiddish word that I don't know because I am not Jewish. P-I-S-H-K-E. And I have to assume, because it's before the word business, that it's a pun on risky business. So that's what that's what's informing my pronunciation of the word in this moment. But on HBO Max, it's Pinsky business. It is Pinsky P-I-N-S-K-E business. Um, so I don't know which one is the correct one. Let's see. So Pishki is a word. So I think that it is supposed to be Pishki and not Pinsky. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the internet is calling it. So okay. uh, HBO Max is additionally being wrong. Cool. Um, What's the episode about? <laughs> anyway, so uh, the episode Pishki Business aired on uh, Halloween. Oh. Uh, Fran must woo a big investor after her mother and some friends back Maxwell's new play. Wallace Shawn and Ben Vereen guest star. Ooh, Wallace Shawn. Yeah. The Grand Nagus. You can see the back of his head. Perfect. HBO <laughs> Max, it does show that it's the back of his head. Fantastic. Uh, in, the, in the little screen cap. Well, that'll uh, be fun to watch. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool. I don't think it was supposed to be a Halloween episode. Nothing about it appears to be, but who knows? Well, if maybe Wallace Shawn and Ben Vereen play characters who are dead, big spooky ghosts. We'll find out when we watch this episode next week. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to our little podcast. If you are enjoying the show, if you have enjoyed the show, if you plan on enjoying the show, why not tell your friends and family and enemies? Little baby podcasts like ours live and die by word of mouth, and we would certainly appreciate yours. And remember, you do have to do it anyway, or else you'll die in seven days from cum sodico because of you <laughs> having to listen to the cum My Little Pony story and know that a My Little Pony toy was boiled income fucking atrocious uh mandy where can people find you on social media uh people can find me not boiling income i i just want to keep making everyone remember this and also make it impossible for ben to edit out anyway so you can find me at mandy quesadilla on twitter instagram and facebook and you can find me, I'm at Ben Padden on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also Tumblr, not so much. I'm a Ben Padden on TikTok. And if you want to support the show and my other creative endeavors, uh, patreon.com slash Ben Padden. That money goes into uh, my bank account. And I use it to buy, <laughs> <laughs> I use it to buy food and, and groceries. And Ben uses it to buy me presents uh, sometimes, sometimes. Yes, I go to the grocery store and I ask Mandy, do you need anything from the grocery store? And she just says, present. So she gets a present. Um, it's usually a copy of Space Jam on DVD. Yeah. Because they're $6 advance. <laughs> if you want, if you like the show, you can find our uh, podcast on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Out On Her Fanny. And our website is oofcast.com. That's O-O-H-F-Cast.com. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Out On Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I've been Mandy. <sighs> you've been Ben. And you've been Mandy. Yes. And yes... We We do do know know it it means means vagina. didn't get picked up by the microphone. Grand Geek Gathering